Hi, my name is Reese Wells. My pronouns are he, him, his, and this is the Counseling Connection Podcast. Okay, no housekeeping, so we are going to dive right in. Today, we are talking about dissociative identity disorder, what it is, what it looks like, and ways to treat it. For this conversation today, I feel very grateful to be interviewing Heather Scarborough. Heather, pronouns they, them, graduated from UNC Pembroke's MED program and clinical mental health counseling program in 2013. They are a licensed LCMHC, LCAS, and NCC. Heather's specialty focus has been treating dissociative disorders, specifically dissociative identity disorder, also known as DID. Heather, in addition to their clinical work and advocacy to end stigma of DID, they are an active musician in the Kirtan Bliss Band as a singer slash songwriter slash guitarist, as well as writing music as a therapeutic outlet. They have been an advocate for dissociative disorders since their own diagnosis 20 years ago. Heather is an active member of ISSTD, as well as An Infinite Mind, which is a nonprofit dedicated to resources and psychoeducation for persons and supports managing DID. I'm really pumped about this episode. If you're interested, you can find articles and additional information from my website at reesewells.com. And now, Heather Scarborough. Okay, y'all. So I'm here with Heather Scarborough, and I'm so grateful that agreed to join us for this episode of the Counseling Connection podcast. Heather, I I feel really excited about our topic today, and it is a topic that is outside of the realm of my uh, expertise as a clinician. So rather than introduce the topic for you, I would love to just have you say hi and then tell us what we're going to be talking about today. Sure. Um, so, um, well, my name is Heather. Hi. And my specialty is dissociative disorders. Um, it's been something that I've been passionate about um, for about 20 years since I was diagnosed myself. Um, so this is kind of my thing. Um, and dissociative disorders is really a group of disorders that are characterized by a disruption in consciousness or identity or behavior or memory. Um, it's also traumagenic. Always is there a trauma root, usually early childhood trauma. Um, does not require, it's not necessary for it to be sexual abuse. Um, some neglect and verbal abuse can also um, create dissociative issues later in life. Um, yeah, I think that that's like, in a nutshell, what we'd talk about. Great. Thanks. Yeah, so today <laughs> what we're talking about in our podcast is dissociative identity disorder. And, you know, Heather has been kind enough to, to hop on and explain what is dissociative identity disorder, or, you know, maybe for some, some parts of the podcast, we'll call this DID for short. Um, and 
you know, love to hear an operational definition. We'll talk about some statistics around DID, um, you know, prevalence, cultural and social factors, and Heather's experience and expertise of what is it like to work with somebody with DID. So I'm really psyched and appreciative of your time today. And, you know, this is in anticipation of tomorrow's North Carolina Counseling Association conference where it'll be presenting uh, on a similar topic. So we're thinking of this as, as good practice. Um, so thanks for your time, Heather. And, you know, just starting off, I'm curious, what drew you to the field of mental health counseling? Oh man, I've been like over the river and through the woods. Um, my undergrad is in music and voice. Um, first master's is in music composition. And then, you know, this thing happened after, well, during grad school where I realized I needed to make money. And I ended up being a CNA um, at a memory care facility. And uh, kind of a long story short, I ended up being the program coordinator, which meant I was running support groups for family members. And um, that was a lot of grief and loss stuff. And I had no training. And it was like, oh man, maybe I should Maybe I, maybe I should figure out what I'm doing. Um, so that was kind of the way that I came back there. I've always been a proponent of mental health. Um, yeah, I mean, even even as a, a, a teenager, you know, I, I, I did all the things. Um, I've always been active in therapy and I think everybody should be, especially right now. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, there's nobody in my family that was a therapist. There's, I mean, my family's mainly graphics people and musicians. So, um, there's that. <laughs> yeah. So I, I just, uh, and it kind of fell into the field. Well, the field's happy to have you. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, uh, hey, I can't imagine doing anything else. Yeah, and, you know, I'm curious, what drew you to the field of dissociative identity disorders specifically? Yeah, and that's a, that's a really good question. Um, so, I was diagnosed with DID at 21. And um, lots of intensive therapy and a lot of work and a lot of just really difficult stuff and to get to a place where I'm co-conscious you know I, all all of my aspects are very much fused um but separate if that makes sense um so the, I had this lived experience and initially I wanted to be a grief counselor because that's what I was doing. Um, and that's not where I got led. Um, I graduated, um, was working community mental health um, as a, a mental health specialist for an ACT team. 
um, and then SUD specialist for the ACT team. And what I was finding was that we weren't always dealing with psychosis. Um, it wasn't always a delusional disorder, which if you're familiar with enhanced services for adults in North Carolina, um, the ACT team is one of those in community services where you meet people where they are. Um, and one of the qualifiers is that there has to be psychotic features. And most often they have to have gone to jail or gone to one of the um, larger hospitals, Walter B. Jones or Cherry or Holly Hill. And in order to be approved for the ACT team, so what I learned, because I was predominantly working trauma, and it was like, okay, so I like this, um, and I get it from a different perspective. And really, I mean, when I left the ACT team, I opened a private practice, and over half of my caseload is dissociative disorders or trauma related. Um, so I can't imagine that I would be anywhere else doing anything else. Um, yeah, and you know, on the ACT team, it was kind of cool because I was able to view psychosis differently. I mean, that is actually one of it might be DID if there's a previous um, psychotic episode or, or um, previous diagnosis of schizoaffective or something similar. Um, so it was, it was very cool. I got to use all kinds of fun trauma skills. Yeah, I bet. And you know, it's, you're doing really intense work with people who really needed high levels of care. And um, I, I'm, I'm sitting here and, you know, recognizing that I have a, a limited grasp and understanding of what dissociative identity disorder looks like or what the clinical diagnostics are of it. Recognizing also that you've been diagnosed with DID mm -hmm. and this is a, a lived experience for you. So for the folks who are out there listening, who are asking similar questions to me of like, what is DID and, and what does it look like? Would you mind sharing? Yeah, um, well, often it looks like me. You know, um, a successful business owner um, involved in community outreach, have a lovely partner. Um, we're getting married. Well, we would be married March 21st, but COVID, um, you know, I, 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 I check all the, the boxes for happy life. Um, and it is that. Um, DID can also look like um, a 21-year-old college student who's an overachiever, um, who's doesn't show any risky behavior that she remembers. <laughs> You know, but other people call her different names. You know, strangers know who she is. 
So, I mean, and that is part of the character, part of the diagnostic criteria. Um, having memory gaps, not remembering kindergarten, not remembering anything before like 16. I mean, and it's different for everybody. And that's, I think that's the trickiest thing about DID is because it looks so different for everybody. Um, it's not, uh, it's not, it's never how the media makes it look. Let's put it that way. Um, which is unfortunate, you know, um, it's not dangerous. Um, it literally is a coping skill that has allowed people to survive situations that they would not have survived in before without it. Um, often the level of trauma is so deep that the individual might not even realize that they've had trauma. And, and we see that a lot. Um, I would say in the plural community, and I, I, I call it that because there is like a nonprofit organization called the Plural Association that is all about um, self-help and psychoeducation and they put on conferences that are free um, and doing a lot of good work. So within the plural community, you know, there's traumagenic, which I, I definitely had a traumatic experience. Um, but there's also endogenic systems, which are systems that don't, they either haven't realized that they have trauma yet or they feel that they don't have trauma. And either way you look at it, there's still a system, <laughs> right? Um, so back to like the diagnostics. Um, so DID, the, the dissociation is like a symptom of, uh, well, we all dissociate, right? Um, but it's a symptom that's kind of like spacing out feeling disconnected from your body or just like, oh, you can feel that way when you get really tired, like, woo. I mean, am I even awake? I don't know, you know, it's like this weird airy feeling. Um, and that is prevalent in all the dissociative disorders. But with DID, uh, the biggest difference is there is a, there is a marked, separate identity, like um, with their own characteristics of a person, you know? I mean, they are a person. Um, and so like, usually DID is diagnosed in like early twenties. Um, and then I have some colleagues um, that weren't diagnosed until they were 60. Um, and so it's kind of like, everybody's different. You know, we keep coming back to that. Um, and knowing, I think for a therapist to, to know when it's your stuff, like your belief about what is sitting in front of you 
um, when that starts interfering with diagnostics, just call me. <laughs> call me if you're in North Carolina, you know. Um, but realistically, that is one of the biggest barriers and has created so much stigma for so many people is the, the controversy. Um, one of the uh, organizations that I'm active in, the uh, International Study, uh, International Society for Study of Trauma and Dissociation, um, it, it really does a good job about um, educating people about what DID is. And, you know, it's one of the governing bodies that influences the D DSM. Um, which my prediction is there's going to be some changes to dissociate disorders in the next vision. <laughs> um, you know, there's some terminology that, that doesn't apply anymore. Um, so I don't know if I, I, I'm probably gone all over the place. I'm just weaving around. <laughs> this is great. Yeah. You're taking, you're taking me and, and everyone else on a real journey, right? Okay. Like I, I have a much clearer idea of what, you know, DID looks like and what are some diagnostic criteria. Okay. I just want to clarify when you're talking about the plural community, it's called plural community because there's multiple selves. Mm -hmm. You're right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there are terms that they use. Um, I, as a therapist, I go with whatever the client's comfortable with. Sometimes they prefer like the term alter and host and subsystem and some people prefer insider or others or actually have a name for all of them you know like a collective or um the pack or you know and that's really specific to the person right um yeah, uh, where was it going to go with the? You, you know, Heather. You know what I'm what I'm thinking about with this topic, just because it is so, um, like there's so much there, and I, I believe that it's important when spreading this message and, and really bringing light to what is dissociative identity yeah. disorder. Um, I, I want to provide lots of resources for folks who are interested in learning more about this. So, um, on on my webpage mm -hmm. beneath this podcast link, you know, they'll, you know, might ask you for, for some additional sure. resources that you can share just so folks can really educate themselves on this because you're right, the media <laughs> hasn't done a good job of right. explaining what DID looks like. And um, I imagine that for therapists who are potentially working with a DID client, then there could be some, you know, lack of education um, and potential counter transference occurring mm -hmm. in the counseling room. So um that's that's something that's coming to mind and you know i'm i'm thinking you know let's like kind of zoom in out a little bit okay. about just the current prevalence of dissociative identity disorder like what does this look like in i, I don't know america today okay um well the average is one to 3% of the American population has DID. Holy shit. 
That's a lot. Yeah. yeah. It's just as common as schizophrenia. Red hair is green eyes. Um, and the way it looks is just like you and me. The more, the more proactive people who have DID are with following up on therapy, doing the homework, being willing to, to go down that, that very difficult road of trauma processing, you know, um, and there are some cases where you don't do any trauma processing. You spend your entire time stabilizing um, and creating safe safety, you know? So, I mean, it can look like, you know, one to 3%. <laughs> That's a, a large window. Um, there was a study, there was a group of studies done not too long ago, six different studies over 10 different countries. And it was 15, 1529 inpatients um, at psych units. And 3.9 of them were undiagnosed DID. So, I mean, one of the myths is that it's overdiagnosed and it's only diagnosed by um, DID specialists who put their own spin on things. That is just not true. <laughs> you know, um, you know, and there, there is a, a, a Colin Ross um, of the Ross Institute. Uh, he's just an amazing um, trauma therapist and has done some really good work, you know, created the dissociative disorders inventory scale. You know, it's a self-report thing. It's free to the public and download it. Um, that is sometimes, or sometimes DES, dissociative experiences scale is probably used more often, but using them together is great. Um, he states that the prevalence the biggest difference is it's more common in women, but that is because women are more likely to seek treatment. Um, so that's kind of really the only distinction as far as like cultural or socioeconomic or, you know, um, some of Herschel Walker, Famous football player, DID. <laughs> you know, there are so many people that you, ju you just wouldn't know. And that is because it's so covert. It's designed to hide trauma right. so that people can survive it. Yeah. And so, like, what I'm really hearing with this, with this disease is that, you know, foundation of trauma leading creating this necessary coping skill to separate selves in order to survive. Yeah. And it is covert in nature. It is, it's hard to diagnose, but some of the, the main, um, I guess, red flags or warning signs are gaps in memories, mm -hmm. knowing strangers, 
Right. And with that, there is no clarity over whether men or women are more likely to have DID. However, women report higher levels, possibly with the correlated fact that women were more likely to enter counseling services. Right. Yeah. And something that I've been wondering, and I'm curious if folks who are listening have been wondering this too, like what are some of the main differences between schizophrenia and DID? Well, um, that, that's a good question. So um, I think of dissociation almost on a spectrum. Um, where schizophrenia is on one side, you know, where, where we have auditory and visual hallucinations, hallucinations, geez, Louise. <laughs> um, and then we have, uh, you know, DID where we have split into different people, um, as a coping strategy. Although there's uh, dissociation in schizophrenia, schizophrenia is actually a one of those has a genetic component. The audio visual is coming from the one self. Um, and there's other aspects to that. And with the ID, because you can have some psychosis. Um, in fact, most DID people have been diagnosed with the two common comorbid, and, and this is still comorbid, like just because they're DID doesn't mean that, that they don't have borderline personality disorder. And um, some psychotic features, most like schizoaffective. Just to clarify, comorbid means multiple, yep. multiple diagnoses. Right. So DID plus borderline, DID right. plus high anxiety, DID plus trauma. Right. Yeah. So totally different things, right? Schizo yeah, two totally different things. Um, and, you know, we're working with individuals who have schizophrenia. Um, it's really like learning a different language and, um, our love Ron Unger, who is, um, a, a masterful social worker in the field and like just really perfected how to work with dissociation and psychosis. Um, the way he talks about um, dissociation is you've got to look for the truth. When we're dealing also with psychosis, right? You've got to look for the truth in there. Um, we might have idea of, of reference where, you know, that statue over there, God put that there so that I, so that I know I'm special, right? The truth in that is I need to feel special. I need to feel important. I don't feel important. So it's a little different with DID 
because although you have some of that, it's predominantly parts that are feeling and thinking very clearly. Like it's not being influenced by, you know, brain chemistry. And that's evidenced by there, you know, we can treat symptoms, the depression and anxiety and such that come along with DID, but there is no magic pill to fix it. Right. You know, and that's, that kind of leads into my next question, Heather, you know, how, how do you treat DID? Yeah, um, we have actually a lot of evidence-based resources at our hands, you know. Um, the, you know, typical trauma work, you know, uh, is a, a, a key aspect. I do a lot of gestalt, and, which I like. Um, you know, I'm, I'm the existentialist and, you know, it, Gestalt helps me take my existential thoughts and create a real life situation here. And so a lot of the trauma processing, I can do that through that, especially if I have a younger part, you know, we're coloring or we're playing a game or there is interaction in that way. Um, also internal family systems, that's almost a must. Um, it also helps the clinician think out, think outside of the box as far as system roles, because you have a general language of IFS or internal family systems. Um, but that doesn't necessarily have to be all the players in the DID client, you know, um, but it gives a framework and that, that helps. Um, also, I mean, just the general premise of IFS is you're working with parts um, and doing the work with the part rather than, and, and this is something that, that therapists do, I don't know why, but, you know, they would have a DID client and then, and I've heard these stories um, and they didn't want to work with any of the parts, just the client. And the healthiest philosophy is that all the parts are the client. You know, um, you can't, it's difficult to treat parts of, it's difficult to treat a whole if you're not willing to treat the parts. Um, yeah, so I mean, um, I'm trained in clinical hypnosis. Um, we do lots of visualization um, to create safe spaces because you can't do trauma work if you don't have safe space. Um, and to create that, that happy, relaxed place that you know, when things are overwhelming, we can retreat to. Um, <clears throat> uh, tons of mindfulness, uh, tons of meditation, um, and a question I often get asked is, do, doesn't that make dissociation worse? Well, why yes, <laughs> yes it could. Um, but you, that's when you, know, you kind of have to know where a client is. 
Like for example, um, I wouldn't do EMDR with just any DID client. Um, I would want to know that they can do a lot of processing on their own, um, that they are in, because EMDR brings up all kinds of stuff. Um, and you, you've got to be able to manage that, you know. Um, as a DID therapist, I think the biggest thing, and trauma therapists will get this too, but like I think the biggest thing is how, if it's done right, how time consuming it is. Can you, you say know. more about that? Pardon me? Can you say more about that? Oh, sure, sure, yeah. Like, I might meet with a DID client three times a week. And, you know, pre-COVID, they might have a, a DBT group that they go to the other two nights of the week. Um, it requires a lot of creativity. And um, that works for me. <laughs> um, yeah, like, it's a lot of devotion and a lot of really brainstorming. You know, I, I have really, I have decent work-life balance, let's put it that way. I'm not gonna say great. <laughs> it's a work in progress. But, I mean, these individuals are really dealing with some heavy stuff and they need more support than a lot of folks do when they just come to therapy. Yeah, and so for, you know, I'm just conceptualizing what it looks like to, to treat DID, and not only does it take, you know, in, intensive therapy with trauma focus, and um, in your case, gestalt, which is, you know, viewing parts with the whole, and then doing internal family systems, and emotional focused languaging, and like, how do you work with the parts to, in, like reintegrate the whole together that's that's on the clients end and on the on the counselors end it's the dedication and devotion to the work and recognizing right. that this is like taking on a, a client with a dissociative disorder requires a lot of empathy and mm -hmm. a lot, it's, it's going to be a long-term relationship and I would imagine there is a depth of commitment to that client that maybe other counselors who practice different modalities don't, don't experience. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and my boundaries are different too. Like, um, I will respond to an email or text message at 3 AM. Um, if I get it, you know, they, they, they know that I'm hopefully sleeping. Um, but if I do check, and if I have a client in crisis, I'll keep my ringer on. Um, I do have to think ahead for things like vacation. Um, I have to have somebody that can step in if I'm going to be on a cruise ship. You know, often I will take the crisis even when I'm on vacation. Um, so, I mean, it it is a different level of commitment. Um, you mentioned 
integration. And that also is a hot topic. Um, and it, it means that word means a lot of things to a lot of different people. So for me, integration means integrating experiences and really integrating the aspects that is missing in the missing time, right? So refusing to gather information essentially so that it's one seamless timeline. Um, I personally, as a therapist, will focus on whatever the client wants to. Um, some clients integration means I only want to be one person. Um, but that doesn't work for everybody. And if you force it, you're just going to create more fractures that are going to be even more difficult to manage because you've ruptured rapport. Um, so with that said, you know, I, I integration for me is let's, let's create a means of co-consciousness and that's where the work is for me. Um, how can I help this individual not lose time? That is like the basic, right? Um, and I do that through working with the parts, um, establishing good communication within the system. You know, for example, hey, you're having trouble sleeping, you're having lots of nightmares, you know, and you have a really young part that's, that keeps waking up, you know, really scared. Um, where are my adult helpers? You know, who can, who, who can help be more of a loving support? And almost, you know, we call this reparenting, but it's reparenting ourselves. It's not a therapist doing it. You know, it's not a husband or wife doing it. It's being the support and learning to be the support um, that you didn't have. As a, as, a, as a child. And we do that for part, for part, for part until, until it's, it's so, it sticks, it's solid, you know? Yeah, it's, it's really powerful. Um, and I can imagine, yeah, just how intensive that is, not only for the client, but also for the therapist. And um, it's got me wondering, you know, about the, for family and, and loved ones who have a member in their life with the ID, what would you suggest for them? Um, patience, therapy. Um, I know pre COVID there were a lot of face-to-face -face support groups um, for caregivers and loved ones helping manage DID in their worlds. Um, so, yeah, and so with the patients, this is a long process. You know, someone with DID, it's never advised to not have a therapist. <laughs> you know, and finding therapists that feel comfortable, you know, that is a stigma, right? Um, it's no, I, no, I can't say that. I was going to say it's no different than any other disorder, but it is different. Um, it requires a lot more. Um, 
so yeah i mean and believed your loved one believe your loved one you know um even if you're like i don't remember that happening um you didn't do that when you were 12 you know what i don't remember that whatever believe them you know because whether we do you know we do uh we get out some tracking devices and, and we go play detective which by the way is not our job um this individual still believes and remembers this reminds me i mean of um you know trauma-informed care of like doesn't matter if it happened or not if the client believes that it happened then that's what's really important absolutely yeah heather i've really appreciated your time and expertise on this topic and i'm you know i'm curious for myself and i'm, I'm sure that others are going to be curious as well for for those interested in learning more about did what would you recommend from them or I'm going to ask that question again. <laughs> For those who, like me, who are like interested in DID, what would you recommend in terms of additional reading or resources? Yeah, um, there's a couple organizations that are really doing a good job. You know, of course, the ISSTD, um, and I can give you links to, to all of these, um, has amazing affordable trainings. And they do like mini conferences which are all virtual, so, you know, clinicians can attend, but there's also, these are open to non-members. You can pay a non-member fee to and, and attend um, for folks who aren't clinicians. Um, and Infinite Mind, which is a nonprofit out of Orlando, and um, they are just amazing. And um, I'm gonna be doing some advocacy work with them. Um, for this area and um, they have great resources for loved ones, for clinicians, for clients um, and they have a, a healing together conference um, usually like the last week in Ju January every year um, which is really awesome because you get to meet a ton of clinicians with DID. Um, you get it's a place where clients and their therapists attend together. Um, even therapists who, who don't have DID, it's just a great, they have something for everybody. And it's really tailored toward let's find the resources that work and make them available, you know. Um, those are my two favorite. There's also uh, the plural association, uh, plural association, which is really geared more toward the individual with the ID. And they have um, websites and pages that have like suggestions of phone apps that can help you keep track of, keep your system organized. Um, collect and it's designed for DID people, by DID people, um, uh, so that you can write triggers down as, and do trigger mapping in the moment, you know. Um, and also ways, you know, one of the big things 
for successful healing in DID is is having you know good communication, and they have apps for parts to communicate with each other, which is cool. I mean, it's like the I don't know if you remember Live Journal when that was the thing like in the late nineties. Um, it's like that only for parts. How cool! There's also a couple books that I'd like to suggest to um, first person plural Cameron West, Dr. Cameron West. Um, let's see, um, coping with trauma related dissociation, um, living with trauma related dissociation. Um, also really good books. Um, Breaking free Herschel Walker's book. Um, some of our parts, like there's a bunch. I can give you a whole list. Sweet. That'd be awesome. Cool. Yeah. And so just for those listening, those will be available on my website um, with this, you know, the corresponding podcast with Heather. So um, keep your eye out for that. And, you know, Heather, any parting thoughts on the subject? Um, I'm really appreciative for you asking um, me to be on your show um, because you know education is really the only way to combat stigma you know and therapists need it and just people in general you know I think it's important to remember just because of media how media has painted DID as that DID is not dangerous in fact DID people are 75% more likely to be injured or hurt themselves than anybody else. Yeah. yeah, I've been really grateful for your time, Heather, and for your ability to, to share on the subject. I think it's really important. And um, yeah, I'm really grateful for the connection. And thank you. Yeah, and so, we're, we're moving into the last part of our podcast, um, which is the rapid fire questions, and you don't have access to these beforehand. So just off the top of your head. Okay. You ready? I'm ready. Great. Latest Netflix binge. Crown. Okay. Last book read for pleasure. Uh, maybe you should talk to somebody. Yeah. Classic therapist answer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Most played band of 2020. Oh, man. 21 Pilots. Nice. Cool. I'm, I'm a big 21 Pilots fan as well. Um, favorite podcast right now? This one. <laughs> okay. This one, this one out the window. What's your favorite podcast right now? Um, I, I'm really into a podcast um, series called Colts. Cool. Colts. Um, I really like this question. So you're on a stranded Island and you can only bring one book. What book do you bring? Oh man. I think I'd bring a journal. Ooh, that's a good answer. You can write your own book, multiple uh, books. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, Who's your favorite superhero? Ninja Turtles, Donatello. Is he the one with the stick? Yeah, 
He's the smart one. <laughs> <laughs> so thinking back to when you're in grad school, what was your most meaningful graduate course that you took? Hmm. Addiction and family. And last question, and this is one I ask everybody so far. Um, what's one thing that you think is worth remembering? That love is all there is. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. Thanks so much for, for your time, Heather. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah, thank you. This is the Counseling Connection Podcast. For additional information about dissociative identity disorder, including articles and additional reading, as well as information about Heather Scarborough, you may visit reesewells.com. Copyright by Reese Wells, music by Alan Lawrence, artwork by Brady Lawrence.